Welcome to Follow to Lead, where we discover how to listen for and follow God's call so that we might lead others to God. Our shared stories of inspiration from religious leaders and those active in the educational ministry of the church can help you know better how God is calling you and the role passionate Catholic education plays in spreading His message of faith, hope, and love. Now please welcome the hosts of Follow to Lead, Father Randy Sly and Kyle Pietrantonio. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Christ the teacher, teach us to listen. Teach us to do the deep listening to the sounds of our soul, waiting to hear you calling us to cast out deeper, to become fishers of men and women, shepherds of souls, to follow your will in order to lead others to the truth, beauty, and goodness only you can offer through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to Follow to Lead, a journey twice a month into the world of Catholic education and our faith, exploring what it means to follow God in order to lead others to him. I'm Father Randy Sly, your co-host, and unfortunately, Kyle Pietrantonio cannot be with us today. And uh, we're talking today with two staff members of the uh, Holy Family School of Faith headquartered in Kansas City uh, metropolitan area, Sebastian D'Amico and Jenny Punswick. And it's an organization that was founded in 2005 by Dr. Mike Schierslick and Dr. Troy Hinkle. And Holy Family School of Faith is a public association of the lay faithful. And under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the Blessed Mother, the team daily witnesses to the fruits of their work in parishes, Catholic school, and being mentors through the Catholic uh, Spiritual Mentorship Program. Today, we're going to be focusing on one aspect of their ministry, faculty faith formation. And uh, Sebastian D'Amico has been a catechist at St. James Academy since 2005, where he is a part of the theological faculty. He graduated from the University of Kansas in 2004, with a degree in English and Spanish education, and received a certificate in uh, catechesis from the St. Lawrence Catholic Campus Center. He's completed a master's degree from the Augustan Institute. His wife, uh, Victoria, and he and their five children reside in Overland Park, Kansas. And so he is associated with Holy Family School of Faith as one of their full-time faculty. And then Jenny Punswick is a School of Faith instructor and missionary in the Kansas City area, where she works uh, primarily with faculty faith formation in the Archdiocesan schools of the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. She has a master's degree in English literature from the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and a BSc in English education and a BAA in English literature and theater arts. And To tell you a little bit about her, she's passionate about issues concerning Catholic education, feminine genius, authentic Catholic family life, and the blessed chaos of young motherhood. I love that that phrase, by the way, (laughs) uh, Jenny. Uh, She writes and speaks about these issues throughout the archdiocese. And she and her husband, Kevin, are lay members of the Apostles of the Interior Life and reside also in Overland Park with their six children. And we are so glad to welcome both of you to the program. Thank you, Father. It's great. It's great to be here, Father. Well, it's great to have you with us. And uh, what we usually do at the beginning of the program is we begin by finding out a little bit about our guests, a little bit of your upbringing, where you're from, and all of those things. So, uh, Jenny, let's start with you. Kind of give us a little bit of your of your growing up years and your background. Sure, sure. Um, I was raised culturally Catholic, so my parents were both children of Slovenian immigrants. They grew up in the same, the same small town in Indiana. Uh, so a lot of natural virtue uh, in the fam- modeled in the family. Sunday mass was always a part of what we did. And although they were raised in Catholic schools, my sisters and I were raised in public schools all the way up through through high school. And then I became a teacher and I taught in the public schools for about 10 years. And about six years into my teaching, I met my husband, Kevin, who also had a very similar story in terms of his parents and and his upbringing in public schools. But he was, Kevin was working as a substitute teacher in one of the Catholic high schools here in the Kansas City area. And while we were dating, so he was teaching physics while he was working on his application to medical school. 
I was teaching English in a public school. And so for the first time, we were spending a lot of time getting to know one another. And then he had this amazing experience of Catholic schools as, as an instructor and how he instantly became friends with all of the people that he worked with. And they were rooted in a friendship that was far deeper and more profound than maybe what I had experienced. Mm -hmm. uh, so it set up this really amazing foil of what I was experiencing as public school teacher and what he was experiencing as a Catholic school teacher. And our eyes just sort of became open as we were married that we, right after we were married, began having children, it was clear that this is what we desired for our children was to be raised in Catholic schools. The, the mission of Catholic schools was so different from anything that we had experienced before. So when we bought our first house, we bought it across the street from our parish and I, we knew that our kids would be part of the, the walking school bus to Holy Spirit across the street. That's wonderful. And then were you in public school education until you started working with School of Faith? Right. I was in public school education until, well, really until we had our third child and then the cost of childcare and me working about leveled out. So I stayed home for a little while and then I began working with the Greater Kansas City Writing Project, which provides writing instruction for teachers. So as I left the classroom, I began working with teachers, not in this faith formation aspect that I do now, but I was working very closely with faculties across the metro. I wasn't talking about Jesus, at least, at least not explicitly, but was right. talking about writing instruction. And it was there that I, I had this love of working with teachers who, and I'm a teacher, so I can say it, we're, we're the worst students. So it, it proposed um, <laughs> yeah. a really exciting challenge. And, and so Sebastian, tell us a little bit about you. Well, I am the only child to two immigrant parents. They, they're both from Chile. And I was raised in Topeka, Kansas. It's a long story, but it's my parents were not church going people at all. But my mom started going back to church because she had this son and didn't know what else to do to help raise them. And I was raised with Catholicism and the faith. I took to the faith as children are wont to do pretty easily. And then I went and I was assisting a kind of a private school through fifth grade. And then I switched to a Catholic school and a Catholic high school and then went to KU and, and on from there. But at KU, I really, I felt called. I had a, a deeper conversion myself at that point and really wanted to evangelize specifically through teaching literature mm -hmm. and our Lord talked to his mother about it. And they got back to me and they said, how about you just become a theology teacher straight up? And I thought, uh, all right, <laughs> if you think so, um, all right. which was, it wasn't my first choice, but I ended up being one of the most providential acts of, of God's mercy in my life. And I've been at St. James ever since, and then got involved in their faculty formation because the people that helped my conversion, the founder of School of Faith, actually, was doing, was asked by the bishop to do faculty formation at all the schools in this diocese. And it was very familiar to me. But then eventually they asked me to start helping with the faculty formation at St. James. That, that role just continued to grow. And I still teach at the high school, like you mentioned, but, I, but the other real joy of my life is getting to spend time thinking about Catholic education and spending time with Catholic educators in our diocese. Well, that's wonderful. Well, you know, as we get into the subject of faculty faith formation, this is an area that's near and dear to my heart and one in which I'm still involved even today. I, I love the goal, the mission that is ours to form the hearts of faculty that are forming the hearts of our students. It, it seems to me in, in my limited exposure that Catholic schools are all over the map when it comes to what faith formation really looks like, what it means. Could you both kind of, from your perspective, uh, just let's look at the bottom line. What is faculty faith formation all about? What is it supposed to do? Yeah, I, I would say that um, we have several goals. The first, obviously, is to, to draw teachers closer to the heart of Jesus, right? And, and to walk with them in, um, in their walk with the Lord. So th that's that's primarily the first. And, and we do that by carving out time for them to pray 
and to and to be deeply rooted in the word too. The, the other piece of this is is really fellowship with their collective teachers. Teaching is a, is a really isolating can be a very isolating profession, particularly if you're an elementary school teacher. It's possible you go eight hours without talking to another adult all day <laughs> long, right? Yeah. So, uh, so this provides an opportunity for teachers as they are growing in their relationship with the Lord to also grow in relationship with one another. Our teachers are the heart of the school. And in order for that, for that heart to beat strong, they need to be unified in this, in this journey together. So a, a lot of what we do in our time together is simply getting to know one another, finding out what's on each other's hearts. And then I would say another piece of what we do is how, as we look at this intellectual formation, right? And this, and this time of prayer, and the time of getting to know one another, what does this have to do with education? And I think that that is what makes our faculty formation that we do a school of faith so unique is that we are teachers. Uh, everyone on our, our, our team, we're teachers. And so, like I said before, teachers are, we're a particular variety of beasts, right? <laughs> and um, I think teachers, particularly a teacher's heart understands that whatever we take in, we want to give to our kids. And so, those conversations that we have in our sessions always go back to what does this look like in my classroom? What does this look like for my students? Sebastian, what would you, what would you add? No, I, th- I think you, you said it very succinctly. Formation, gosh, that's such a, it's a word that's bantied about a lot these right. days, right? But it's a whole way of life. The thing that occurs to me is what isn't formation? Because we're talking about helping people fully appropriate the gospel to every corner of their life. Certainly, you know, one, one way of saying it might be, we're just trying to help make and culture disciples, give, mm-hmm. give disciples of Christ a place where they can continue to grow because we're all on that journey together. But then, but then particularly for a faculty, there's this added piece of what does this have to do with our intellect and how does the intellect how does it connect with the rest of our being so that it's not just part of the illness that has overtaken the modern world of education is we are going to have to take all of the intellect, but realize how it, how does it relate with the will and the passions and to make a a fully alive disciple. That's the role of the Catholic educator is to take these images of God and help them image him more. That's a, that's a powerful way of looking at it, isn't it? Especially the idea of making disciples and what that's all about. To some teachers, when they hear the word faculty faith formation, they are golden words to their ears. But then others, it's the sign of dread. <laughs> what, what is it in, that is in some teachers that, res, that there's this resistance to the formation process? Yeah, I, you know... I think for teachers, our teachers are, are stretched so much. I mean, many of our many of our teachers are also parents. Their children their children are in the same school, and maybe it feels like this to other professions. Uh, but for this particular vocation, I think teachers often feel like it's just one more thing being asked of me. Right. Yep. This is one more thing that's on my plate. This is one more thing that I've been asked to do. This is one more thing that has to be measured. And we really we work really hard to break down those kinds of misconceptions and obstacles that our teachers understand that in our diocese, our, our bishop has made their holiness a priority. Right. And has carved out this time for them each month. So we, we try to recognize that, that this is not just something more to do, that this is an experience of leisure, that this is an experience of friendship, that this is an experience of conversation, that this is an experience of prayer. And with hope, that's something that they can look forward to each month, even though the, the demands on their time are great. Yeah. And I would add, when I look into my own heart, the life of discipleship and the cost is high. Right. Um, e- even even when all the factors are there, our Lord is always asking more. And if I'm honest, I give him more, but reluctantly. And I think these are all things that have to be considered when you're doing faculty formation, because you're you're going to be talking about the person the, and, the, and the persons that are in our buildings as as faculty and as, and as the students, obviously. So all of the normal roadblocks we have, I think, are re- responsible to, to God's grace are the same roadblocks that we'll encounter in, in terms of our faculty formation as well. 
Yeah. And I would, I would say too, father, the key person who sets the tone for this is the principal. So if a principal is, is on board, if a principal models his or her faith in a really powerful way, um, if a principal makes this a priority, schedules it, makes sure that their teachers have, it's not, you know, like the, the faculty formation day, their school of faith day isn't lumped into a lot of other demands on their, on their time, on their intellect, on their just in energy provides even little things like provides food and a comfortable space and principals who join small groups and, and add in the discussion and ask really vulnerable questions. Those principals who set the tone for the school of faith, it, it makes all the difference in the world. So we're really yeah, grateful. Think, Most of our principals are that way. We're, we're grateful to them. Yeah. I think that is a real key because it would be very interesting for a principal, for example, to believe that they are so busy, they can't get involved in faith formation. And they're just as much involved in discipleship in the school as anybody in the classroom in, in perhaps a different way, but still very vital in the lives of the young people, as well as their own personal spiritual health. Mm -hmm. So what do you see are the key components to a good faculty faith formation ministry? You mentioned, Jenny, for example, there's fellowship, there's intellect, all these different points. How do you like to see formation established in terms of a, a way and approach of doing it? I think the, the most important piece of it is the conviction on the part of the school leadership that this is worth making space for. That sounds maybe very, maybe abstract, but it's, it's the principle of first things, first, right? It's what our Lord says, seek ye first the kingdom. And I really think that that will then, which sounds very philosophical, right? Then has some very immediate practical answers to your question. If the formation and if the health of the souls of my teachers are the most important thing, then to give them a space in which to do that is going to be the next most important. It's going to be the greatest priority I can give them. And that means actually I mean, everything from the regularity with which the meetings take place, the taking off, this is a hard one, but taking off of the unnecessary pressures that are making it difficult to enter into faculty formation. That's a perennial ongoing thing that one has to think of. The importance of praying with a faculty and modeling how to pray with faculty. The importance of modeling what it is to speak of things of faith with a friend. Those are uncharted waters sometimes for, for teachers because we, we become teachers because we love oftentimes the craft of teaching or we love our subject or we love the children, right? But for someone to then say, and now I want you to talk about where God is in your life can be a hard, a hard question. So I, I really do think that the pride of place, does the principal, does the leadership of the school believe that this is most important and then make decisions in and around that to make that, to facilitate that? What do you think, Jenny? What else? Yeah, would I, would, I would agree. I, I think that as far as what a session, like the, the necessary ingredients of a, a particular session, Sebastian talked about place and, and, and modeling of the, of the administration. But I, you know, I, I say a session, we're going to start, we're going to look at something or read something beautiful. We're going to talk about something good and we're going to learn something true. And that's a solid lesson plan, right? Um, mm -hmm. so these, these components then in our, in our sessions, we always make sure that there's time for prayer, that there's time for silence, that there's time with one another. And, and in that a 15 minute break is not like downtime. That's precious time because they're with one another. And hopefully the break is coming after, you know, we've prayed on something or discussed something heavy on their hearts. So, so that, that space then becomes a time not to talk about what's going on in the building, but what's going on in their hearts uh, or what they may have, might have learned during that time. You know, part of, I think, what the secret sauce of our formation sessions are is that it's discussion, that it's Socratic, that it's in a certain sense led by their questions, which is exciting as a teacher because not every session is exactly the same. And our team, when we get together every single week and talk about what went on in our sessions, you know, I have 10 schools, everybody's got different numbers of schools, but I don't have 10 exact same lessons because we're hopefully taking the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and what, in what we know what we would like to cover. We, we know how we'd like to stick the landing, but the way we get there is, is in lots of different directions. So really it isn't one size fits all. Mm -mm. 
No, no. Yeah. Yeah. Only, so, only the, only the principles that there, there are these key principles that are really just principles about human learning, yeah. you know, uh, a human learns when they're in a space that's peaceful. A human learns when you give them something beautiful. A human is meant to learn truth. A human is attracted by goodness. The, mm-hmm. the, again, like to Jenny's, to Jenny's point, that is, that is the lesson plan. The harder thing is not crowding it out. But once you see that, right, you come into a, a session with, we're going to read this concretely. We're going to look at this painting, this image. And I got to give my teachers time to talk because let's be honest, no teacher wants to be a student in the teacher who just gives lectures. Yeah. And the teachers appreciate that because they're under the same, they're under the same pressures, right? That we've got to, we've got to get, you know, we've got to get through the material. We've got to get through that. We got to get to the end of the chapter. We've got, and I fight that. I fight that all the time. I have to be remembered by my, my teammates have to help me remember. There's no, (laughs) like there's, Sebastian says, there's only one final exam and I'm not giving it. Right. So, so that principle of, of leisure is an important one. And I I think it's really important. In fact, I I remember having a discussion with Sebastian a few years ago to talk about the idea of what leisure actually is. Yes. Our thinking on that has been greatly influenced by Father Joseph Pieper. To anyone in the audience that is unfamiliar with the book, the basic premise of the book is this, that the word where we get the, our word for school is actually a derivative of the Greek word skole, which is the word for leisure. And that word, the, the whole book is basically a rehabilitation of that word because for many, many reasons, we have come to think of leisure as amusement, which is not what the Greeks meant by leisure at all. Uh, amusement meant the loss or the lack of the muses. The, those those spirits that inspire amusement was that. Well, we think of leisure as just being amused. Another famous book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, right? Um, uh-huh. That's another one that, for your reading lists. But leisure, then, if if it's if we're understanding it correctly in the in the Christian tradition, means carefree time. This is borrowing from a, a thinker by the name of Christopher Perrin, who's very worth um, finding. He he likes to say, leisure is carefree time with your friends to talk about things that matter most usually accompanied by good food and drink and usually at a beautiful table. That's not, that is really great. Right, I was, I was just thinking based on what you just said and what Jenny said a little bit earlier, faculty faith formation then should not be putting the uh, faculty in a classroom in front of a whiteboard. Right. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. Just talk, let's talk about that. What, yeah, what should well, it look like? I think that it's what, what has been really particularly transformative in the last few years with our teachers. We've been talking, we've been talking about philosophy, right? And this idea of leisure and what it means to teach from a place of rest, because this is so different than how most of us were trained in teacher college, right? We were trained to chunk things out. We were trained to help get our students to the end of the unit, right? And then you finish the unit and then you got to pop on the next unit, no matter who was left behind. And it's so, it's, yeah, it's, it's just counter to what most of us learned how to do in teacher college. So it's really been a whole paradigm shift for myself and for the other teachers who are in our sessions of what does it mean to receive, which is a particularly Marian quality, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. To receive from a place of rest. And some of us are better at it than others. I'm I'm still learning that the instinct of me, the the teacher and the mom instinct in me is, is always wanting to like multitask. Right. And how, Mm -hmm. how can I get, and I've, I've really had to fight that because, and I see my teachers fight it too. But just knowing that we're rolling at a pace that is where I'm taking into account where their hearts are and what our needs are so that we have the margins in our time to take care to take care of people's hearts. I was at a school last week and a very dear faculty member had passed away and we found out right as we finished our rosary. It's like, well, oh, we're wow. not going to. Yeah, we got to We got to stop and pray on this and talk about this and make space for this. And it was really it was really beautiful. To build off something Jenny just alluded to in in the book, Leisure, the Basis of Culture, Father Pieper, Joseph Pieper writes that leisure is fundamentally an interior disposition of receptivity to the goodness of reality in front of you. And that is an education in itself. And it means 
quite literally the model of leisure, the model of school, who was more receptive to the goodness of reality than Our Lady. It's, mm-hmm. it's no exaggeration to say that the spirituality of Mary is the heart of the Catholic educational project, mm-hmm. which takes, <laughs> I'm still trying to understand what that means for me, let alone our, our, to learn how to articulate that and share that. But it's, it's just so beautiful because it means then that the approach to the faculty has to be one. I mean, I, I guess I approach this way in the measure with which I can approach a faculty and give and provide a space where we can experience leisure. I know that that is a kind of metanoia. It's a kind of conversion. And it's what I've, it's actually what we've always, always been wanting. Mm-hmm. All the best parts of education exist in this understanding of leisure properly understood and to an infinite degree because all good things come from God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and when those spaces are created in our sessions and then we hope in the continued in, in the classroom, um, when those spaces of leisure are created, the opportunity for our students to encounter wonder, right? Which is the, mm-hmm. the baseline of what we need to grow in wisdom um, are, are, are tenfold. Uh, to just stand in awe at something greater than yourself. We use the image of the Annunciation a lot in our team of what this means for wonder, what this means for wisdom, what this means in terms of, of receptivity. And I love hearing stories of teachers when they're, when they're talking about what does it look like when your students experience wonder? What are the necessary conditions, right? Mm-hmm. And no one has ever said, wow, we were really working our way through the packet and we're struck by this moment of wonder, this moment of, of wisdom. No one ever says, well, as we were working our way through the unit, it, you know, it, it, they take place in these, mm-hmm. in this time of rest where no one's asking how much of this, how much is this assignment worth? When are we ever going to have to use this? So really, in a sense, what yeah, you're doing yeah. is getting the students to a fiat. Yeah. Yes. I think I'm stealing that one. That's, that's <laughs> but the teachers, but the teachers have to have that first. Right, like exactly. Have yeah. to experience that first before they can bring their students along. So, Jenny has often said, um, the greatest, <laughs> how, how do you, I'm going to butcher it, Jenny. How many people were moved to wonder as their teacher said, we've got two weeks left in the unit. So, just be quiet while I get through this yeah, material. Yeah, we got to get through <laughs> the end of the material, right? That, yeah. that, no, that was never the precursor to wonder, um, yeah. <laughs> at least not, not from a, a human standpoint. God can use yeah. all things, of course. but And even when you look at, teaching to the test, which is a temptation for good performance on the ACT and all of that, getting through the material won't arrive or won't have the students arrive at a place of mastering the material to the point where it's going to transfer to performance. Right, right. And you know, Father, one thing that we've worked on the last few years is is really understanding most of us come from the same, very similar teacher colleges, right? And if the end, the final cause of secular education is to get you to college or to get you to pass the test or to get you to pass the, the, the grade level assessment, if that's the final cause... Well, if in Catholics in Catholic education, if if the end is to is to cultivate the soil so our students choose heaven, we're going to pass that along the way. We'll hit that road. We'll, right. we'll hit that that um, we'll hit that bar, right? But if we just make our bar right here, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're losing so much. And yeah. un- unfortunately, most of our teachers have been myself included, have been trained that, no, this is, this is what we're reaching. This is as far mm-hmm. as we're yeah. Yeah. And then we slap I, on a platitude of like, no, we're going to get our kids to heaven. No, we need to talk about what this means. We can't just yeah. say that line and not unpack it. Right. Yeah. And to build off of that, Father, I think you're dead on when you use the word temptation. It's a temptation to teach to the test. And to see, to see that, I mean, p- part of, part of what we've, been coming to realize is that education itself is a spiritual endeavor and often we think of temptations as well that's something that exists over here in my spirituality bucket Um, Mm -hmm. but teaching is my job well actually let's slow down and and consider that artificial separating of these two buckets is actually not correct true or even remotely helpful really in fact it's actually muddied the waters Mm -hmm. because if, if we start seeing that education is 
fundamentally a spiritual endeavor, that those who are engaged in teaching are engaged in an extension of God's work through, through baptism and the sacraments. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, how, do, how does, but that, this is what we mean. This is what we're talking about that I, by teaching math to a student am involved in that child's salvation. Even when I'm not teaching religion right. or catechesis. Yeah. It, it makes it into, into every subject at the same time. We're not talking about teaching by levitating in a holy bubble. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, we're still in the classroom and there's still stuff going on in the midst yeah. of all that. A holy bubble is going to pop real fast in a middle school classroom. I'm raising <laughs> two middle school boys right now. That's not sustainable. Right. Uh, so, so it's important that our teachers are engaged in these conversations about what this means, particularly for their apostolate. And I think that this is kind of the secret sauce of School of Faith, that certainly, you know, a Bible study with your teachers is not going to go wasted, right? Any, any worthy conversation in leisure will bear fruit. But what has really moved the dial in our teachers' hearts, I think, through the last few years has been this conversation of, well, we, we say, well, our job is to help our kids get to heaven. What does that mean? It has to mean more than we're going to use secular texts and secular lessons, and then we're going to go to Mass on Wednesday. And we've got some icons hanging around the school here and there. Yeah. No, it has to be, it has to bleed through everything that we do. And yeah, seeing that come alive in our teachers and in our buildings is really, really exciting. What do you do when you have faculty members that aren't quite on board with that? They just are still stuck in the, look, I'm a Catholic, I go to Mass, and I teach. I often have to beg for mercy for myself because I think that's probably the kind of disciple Jesus has to deal with in me. When it comes, yeah. when it comes down to it, when that's when I recognize myself, <laughs> what you're really asking is, Sebastian, what happens when you recognize yourself and the people that you're teaching? Um, <laughs> and, and I think, you know, from a from school of faith's point of view, it's where we start to realize the fact that that is really going to rest more squarely on the role of the principal and who's in there. Because, and obviously, there's there's a lot of pastoral care that needs to be taken in that moment, right? From an evangelical point of view, God has been anxious to teach me patience, to take people where they're at. They can't be farther along than where they can't be where I want them to be. They can only be where they are. Right. Um, and their next step is only a little bit further. And actually, like learning to see them in that light has been really important for me as I've been ministering to them. But but also, inevitably it means we have to start taking very seriously who is on our faculties and we have to find the best ways to bring them along and to be okay with people who say, you know what, this isn't for me. That would be a, that's a set, that is a sad thing to say, but it wouldn't be a bad thing for people to say if the mission were clear, but from, from our, from our perspective, perspective of, of the people doing the formation, it's, it's a matter of loving them right. as yeah. they are and taking them further. Yeah, it's conversion, yeah. right? Yeah. Go ahead, Jenny. Yeah, I would say first, um, I pray for them, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and specifically address that at the beginning of every session. We all, we, you know, we always pray that the Holy Spirit comes and fills this place. And I particularly pray for any distractions, any details, anything that looms on our to do list, anything that we deem is more important than this, that we entrust that to Our Lady, right? And, and have her tuck that under her mantle, so that that is sort of swept away and taken care of. But specifically, we pray for them and we try to accompany them on a one, you know, on a one-on-one basis. But ultimately, if they're not on board and the mission is clear, right? And the mission is clear, this is what we're doing, and they're not on mission, then this is not the right place for them. That's something that DIA speaks to a lot, right? It's who and who you hire and who you fire. And if if that mission is very, very clear, then that makes it easier to navigate. Okay. But it helps it helps to articulate this too because faculty formation is a tool in the hand of a principal. Faculty formation is a tool in the hand of a principal. It's not the magic bullet. You have to be reasonable with what you can expect from it. And with God's grace, of course, God can give immense things, but it will never be the solution. It can't solve the issue of someone who just doesn't want it. Mm-hmm. Basically, that person 
really has to choose. This is not the place where I need to teach. Mm -hmm. And over time, hopefully you'll gain a faculty that will be of one mind and one heart back to the book of Acts being in one accord Mm -hmm. that in order to be able to really fulfill the mission, we've all got to be on the same page to use Mm -hmm. an old cliche. Yeah. So let's go to a day in the life. Is there a format for faculty faith formation that you all think works well, not necessarily in specific content, but in components or things that you do during your faith formation time? Obviously, you start with prayer. Mm-hmm. So let's begin there. What, what do we do from that point on usually, or what, what do you recommend? I'll go ahead. Sure. Um, oh, you got it? Okay. Maybe the first is to make sure, sometimes we throw away prayer. Um, we just toss them off like they're like they're, I, I don't know. I don't know what a good analogy would be. Sometimes I, sometimes I pray without, and I'm just going through the motions. Um, so maybe the first thing to do is to make prayer a thing, to, to make it intentional. That might mm-hmm. be as simple as asking a question, where has God been bringing peace to your life? In other words, asking them to look for something already, to pray with an image, to pray with the Psalms, mm-hmm. but certainly prayer first in that way. What else, where else would you go after that, Jenny, in terms of the, um, mo- many of our life. sessions begin with a beautiful image. So a beautiful piece of, of art. And, and we, we joke, it's kind of become a joke now, but it's Sebastian's favorite question, which is what do you notice, <laughs> which is a wonderful springboard into fantastic discussion. And I, and I feel like that question really helps our teachers put down their guard because we, no one has to give, there's no pressure to like have the most Jesus-y answer, right? It's just what, what do you notice? What's, what's obvious? What is, what's right in front of you? And so when we have a beautiful image, like, uh, like the Annunciation or the Rose Window, or that is sort of a low entry way to get people to begin talking. So that's often a good springboard, an image, an English teacher. So I like to use poetry sometimes too, but, but something, something beautiful. This apostolate of School of Faith is informed by the movement of the Holy Family, which is uh, has a particular charism of friendship and conversation, but specifically the rosary. So as we said, our charism is particularly Marian. We pray the rosary with meditations based upon what we're reading. Sometimes right now we're working through salvation history. So we'll sort of chunk out, for lack of an eloquent word, uh, chunk out scripture and then pray a decade of the rosary in between but this is combining two things that we do almost, and we, we do them almost seamlessly. But the other part of the day in the life of this is you got to read something good from the tradition. Pride of place goes to scripture, but it doesn't have to be long. But ultimately the church is the teacher as the facilitator. I'm just that I'm just a facilitator. And the church is a pretty good teacher herself. So it's a matter of reading something together. And then there's a there's there's got to be time to pray together. Mm-hmm. With the rosary, we've often found that we can we end up doing two in one with that. Mm-hmm. But those are two distinct elements that are really important. There's got to be time for small groups. Usually, sometimes the faculties are small enough that the, it is a small group. There's got to be time for discussion of where people are actually going to say what they think or what they perceive. Then there's got to be some some element, some small element of teaching overtly sharing something. Sometimes that can be like a standalone thing for 10 minutes, 10 or 15 minutes. Here's one idea that we want to share with you. Mm-hmm. Other times it comes out in the process of the conversation. The small groups are particularly important. We've been using small groups for several years now. And so these small groups are not just a randomized small group, but they are regular small faith sharing groups. And and it's not just a turn to your neighbor type of deal, or here, you're going to go with your small group for 10 minutes. No, this is time for them to be with one another. And Mm -hmm. the small groups, sometimes there's a check-in question that we give them directly I tend to send my small groups out when they're sent out after we've read or discussed something briefly and ask them to go around and share petition. That's a pretty quick way to learn what's on someone's heart is when you ask them for prayer. Uh, So that, that takes up a good bulk of time in a, in a session. And then those questions that they have are generated in their discussion. So -hmm. then they bring those questions back to the large group. We answer those questions. And like Sebastian said, some of the direct sort of didactic 
teaching can happen. I think it happens best when it's in those in those large groups. But there is a time to say, hey, this is an idea that we want our teachers to chew on together. Mm-hmm. Rest in this truth. Yeah, I know at St. Michael, we assigned people to small groups mm-hmm. at the beginning of the semester and even assigned the leaders uh, who was going to lead the group. Mm-hmm. And they stay together for the whole year. And it's really neat to watch the group grow in understanding of each other and all of that. It's really, is, is that a good practice? Is that a good way yeah. to go? Especially in large faculties, because, you know, a high school faculty can be a lot like high school <laughs> where everyone has their, their group and they sit at the same table and they have the same yep. office. So if we want um, our schools to grow in holiness and to grow in relationship with one another, you know, you got to cross the hall and particularly to be on mission with one another. You have to know what's happening in other people's classrooms. You have to know what's happening in those hearts. So having those groups sort of crossover and I mean, in teacher speak, right. It's vertical teaming, right. Not just horizontal teaming, which is what we see happen a lot, but we have this Mm -hmm. vertical teaming too of teachers from different disciplines who can say, well, this is what I'm seeing in my class. I'm teaching this. This is what I'm seeing. So yeah, I, I think that that's really important. And like I said, I've seen really neat things happen in small groups. Most of my schools keep the same small groups for a few years. I have to remind them. I have to remind them to say, okay, principals, it's time to meet some new people. But yeah, that's why we we change it up every year because yeah. that way they get to know more people. One of the things you brought up the idea of high school is there a difference in faith formation between elementary and high school? I mean, are they both human? That's why I'm bringing up the question. Everybody, I mean, the teachers are on the same level, but because yeah. the students are at a different level, is there anything different that you would recommend in the for- formation process? Jenny, I'd love to know your thoughts on this, but. If as the facilitator, you're listening to what their questions are and you're following their questions, it tends to differentiate itself. But I've found grade school teachers ask pound for pound as difficult of questions as as high school teachers with, with a lot of things. Every teacher needs time to process what does this have to do with my life as a teacher? That is always a legitimate question. And their answers will be different because the, the students that they teach will be different. But I tend to think, you know, after, after the age of reason, truth is going to be truth. The real question is, am I listening to the truth that they need to hear, or am I going in with a preconceived notion of the truth I want to say? And there's, there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a balance between that. And sometimes I can come into a faculty wanting to deliver some really high lofty idea when actually what they need to hear is something more basic. But that principle is just as applicable to high schoolers, I've found, to high school teachers. Yeah, I think that there's a few, just practically, I would agree, yeah, everyone's human. But I would say practically there are some things that make high school faculty formation a little more difficult. The high school that I'm at is twice the size of my largest school, right? So there's one of me and there's 75 of them. That's going to be much more difficult to to get through those questions and really even to know those teachers on a personal level, which is an aspect we haven't talked about yet of what that looks like to walk with. You know, I I always say, I'm here, here's my number. If you have questions about the faith, if you need prayer, if you need a casserole, whatever you want, I'm here, right? That's much more difficult to do. It takes me, it's taking me longer to learn who those people are in the high schools than they are in the elementary schools just because of size. And I would also, I also think that there tends to be, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about this, but, but it seems the old guard seems to be more prevalent in high schools than in, than in our elementary schools. So that buy-in that you were talking about before father, sometimes that's more difficult to achieve, not to say that those teachers aren't still hungry for it or that they don't see the relevance in what we're talking about to their own lives but the transfer of what this has to do with my apostolate as a teacher, if you're teaching gym, if you're teaching math, right? Those take a little more finessing, I would say. Mm-hmm. Now, with School of Faith, one of, the, one of the blessings you bring is a real understanding of how to bring about faith formation in a school. We probably have a lot of schools where faith formation is relegated to the principal, him or herself or to one of the faculty, do you have any recommendations for them in terms of 
resources or how to really continue to build a vibrant formation program? Take that, Sebastian. Yeah. <laughs> well, I th- this will sound may- maybe painfully frustrating, but I, I I would just say, what are the elements that would take for you, the principal, to enter into leisure mm-hmm. and do that and make time for that? The harder thing is making time for it. It's not that it's difficult. It's it's not difficult to find a piece, something that's worth reading. It's hard to make time to read something worthwhile. I think that is the most important thing. Although when it comes down to it, gosh, we're happy to to talk to people and kind of coach them through whatever whatever mm-hmm. questions they might have. T- talking to other faculties that are doing faculty formation is really important to hear their experiences. I, yeah, I think I, that's where Duke and Altum comes into play too, doesn't it? Where Yes. You actually have a collaboration of schools that have that same mission-mindedness. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, Jenny, go ahead. What you were going to no, say. I would just say practically, I heard this at the summit, um, and I can't remember where, but that consistency is the best evidence of sincerity. So in, in education, the temptation is, is if I ignore this long enough, it'll go away, right? If I ignore this most recent acronym or this most recent practice or whatever, it's, it's eventually going to go away, right? So when we see principals, administrators who, who are consistent, the message, the idea is, is well articulated, the time is protected, those sorts of things are going to be huge in getting buy-in. The other thing that I, I think is, is kind of the secret sauce of School of Faith is that we are, now Sebastian teaches at the school that he, that he also teaches at, but most of us, the, the rest of us we are outsiders who come in. And I think that that has some limitations, but there's no miracles in Nazareth, right? So it's also nice to be able to come in and then leave. If you can find a team school to maybe do that with, but, but particularly the team that you form will be very important. Our school of faith team, we meet every week for two to three hours. And we talk about what was covered last time, what's what we're going to cover next time, things that happened in sessions. We bounce ideas off of one another. We steal off of one another. I mean, we just do what good teachers do. I think that a principal or even a priest who's working in a vacuum and they're the only ones and it all rests on their shoulders, that's going to be, it's obviously not impossible, but it will be more difficult. If you can have a team that meets regularly, I think that that's made all the difference in what we do mm-hmm. with School of Faith. And I would echo what, what Sebastian said. We feel like we've got a great model here in our archdiocese, and we would love to, to share what we're doing if you're interested and, and want some some coaching or some consultation, we'd be happy to provide that. And that would be at holyfamilyschooloffaith.org. Is that the website? Com. Tr- and you can com. use our names okay. to email either of us. You can find us online. Okay. Um, or it's Jenny at schooloffaith.com or Sebastian at schooloffaith.com. Yep. Yeah, that's great. You know, I think one of the big takeaways for me is for whoever is involved in faith formation, not only do they have to make the time to do the, the formation, but they also have to make the time to prepare <coughs> for the formation, you know, that you've got to, you've got to set some time in your schedule to actually prepare the materials, get your mind in it. And so that you have something ready to go rather than just think you can just run in there and throw something up on the board. And yeah, teachers see good. right through that. Teachers yeah. see right through that. We start the spring before uh, writing the curriculum for the following year. Mm-hmm. And then we meet over the summer twice a week for three, two to three hours, twice a week working on the curriculum. So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, hour by hour, we spend more time, way more time in preparation than we do mm-hmm. in actual delivery of the lessons. Yeah. Well, I know like in the Diocese of Kansas City, St. Joseph, the Catholic Schools Office provides resources for formation. I'm sure mm-hmm. that's true of a lot of the dioceses. So a lot of the principles that we're talking about that today, though, can work even if you have materials that your school's office provides for you. I think in terms of content, if you're talking about faith formation, it's very difficult to do better than the catechism in scripture. Right. It's very difficult to do better than those two things. And I think sometimes we get real worried about we need a whole curriculum. Maybe to say the same thing you're getting at, Father, is it's more important for me to sit down and prayerfully read and study the catechism and scripture myself and to, and to internalize 
what is the tradition on these things? And then when I come, I have a reservoir from which to, to share mm-hmm. from those things are, those things are important. I know last year we used the catechism to teach the creed for our content. And that was really rich. A lot of the people thinking about things that they hadn't really thought about before, thinking about the four last things, those types of, of images. So, well, you know, we could go for hours on this. And unfortunately, I think our time is up, but this has been really, really rich. As we think about faculty faith formation, before we go, Jenny and Sebastian, is there anything that we haven't covered that you would just like to just say, just share briefly from your heart about the formation of our faculties at our Catholic schools. Yeah, I think that one of the most important things that we can do is pray for our teachers and yeah, pray for our teachers and be available to them in their, in their walk with the Lord. Yeah. And I, I would say all these things that the, the life of trying to help form disciples presupposes my life as a disciple. <laughs> Am I prioritizing my prayer life? And what are the things that are crowding out that prayer life? If I can make time for my own and I can understand what it is that's fighting for that place in my life, I, I, see, I will see very clearly the things that are standing in the way of my teachers whom I would wish to, to form. So I think prioritize, prioritize your spiritual life, prioritize the sacraments, it, especially if you are a, in, in leadership in a school. It's, it's, yeah. it's even more necessary that you be grounded in your daily prayer. Absolutely. Otherwise. Well, Jenny, Sebastian, thank you so much. It's been really rich to have you with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And for our listeners and our viewers, if you haven't done it already, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a comment to encourage us toward future programming. We'd also like to thank our intern, Alex Shire, for assisting in the production of this podcast. May Almighty God bless you. We'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Follow to Lead, a production of the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative. To learn more about finding your own path in your journey of faith, or for more information on what we discussed in today's episode, you are invited to follow us on social media and visit us on the web at diaschools.org. To provide a one-time donation or monthly pledge, please visit our website. Your gift will aid us in providing up-to-date information, additional resources, and other support on how to take Catholic education to a higher level. We look forward to helping you follow God's call to lead others to God right here on Follow to Lead.